leader of the Jews. He came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do apart from the presence of God. Jesus answered him, Very truly, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God without being born from above. Nicodemus said to him, How can anyone be born after having grown old? Can one enter a second time into the mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Very truly, I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and spirit. What is born of the flesh is flesh, and what is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not be astonished that I said to you, you must be born from above. The wind blows where it chooses, and you hear the sound of it, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus said to him, How can these things be? Jesus answered him, Are you a teacher of Israel, and yet you do not understand these things? The word of God for the people of God. Good morning. Two things before I launch. Jonathan. Good to see you. Thank you for being here this morning. We've missed seeing you. So glad you're here. That's the first one. Second one, Dixie. I had no idea you had such a violent past. I'm so thankful that you have been redeemed. Thank you, Dixie, for sharing your stories. Well, we are um, continuing in our series, Rising with Christ, where we are exploring what does it mean to live in the light and the reality of the resurrection. And so as you've just heard, Megan reads so beautifully, uh, we are in John chapter 3. And so if you've got your Bibles with you, okay, open to John 3 if you're not already there. Grab a pew Bible. We have loaded these things full of the Word of God for you. So grab a pew Bible, John 3, and if you want to get extra credit, then you can pull your phone out. And if you don't have a Bible, a real one, like choir, I don't think y'all have Bibles back there. Feel free to pull your phone out, open your Bible app. But if you want to do Bible app in one translation, and uh, your, your, the pew Bibles are New Revised Standard Version. And if you have a different one, you know, just open to a different translation so you can... See what's going on there. Maybe, maybe you'll notice something that I'm going to draw out right there in your own text before you. So we are going to dig around in this text um, a little bit this morning because there is so much good stuff in here that's going to help us understand this conversation that Jesus had with Nicodemus uh, much better. Um, and so to really get the context and the setup for this conversation, we actually need to back up first to chapter 2 and those verses that precede chapter 3 there, verses 23 through 25. Uh, most scholars do not disconnect chapter 2, verses 23 through 25 from chapter 3, starting in verse 1. We've got a chapter break there. Sometimes that serves us well, but, you know, in this case, maybe it, we don't get what has the setup that John has given us here, this transition from chapter 2 to chapter 3. And if you'll just take a quick peek back at the verses right before those, um, what big raucous event has just taken place 
right before chapter 3. Do you have a heading in your Bible that says something? Jesus is flipping over those tables in the temple, right? He's turning over the tables of the money changers. So there's been this big event, and that's another story for another time. But that incident and the resulting conversation that Jesus had with the religious leaders is significant in showing us, among other things, the, just how wide the gap of understanding spiritually was between the spiritual leaders and Jesus, how they viewed spiritual things and how Jesus understood who he was and the things of God. So here we are though, chapter two, verses 23 through 25. John says this, because of the miraculous signs Jesus did in Jerusalem at the Passover celebration, many began to trust in him. I'm reading from New Living Translation, just so you know. But Jesus didn't trust them because he knew all about people. No one needed to tell him about human nature for he knew what was in each person's heart. In other words, people trust Jesus, but Jesus isn't trusting people. Humans need somebody to testify to them about who Jesus is, but Jesus doesn't need anybody to testify to him about humans. Our own history is enough to tell us what's in our hearts, right? And so, right after that, chapter 3. Now, there was one particular human. Do you see what John did there? A Pharisee named Nicodemus, a leader of the Jews, who came to Jesus by night. Okay? So, here we've got Nicodemus, one of those humans. But not just any human, right? He's a Pharisee. He's a representative of Israel's spiritual leadership, and he's coming to Jesus at night, which in John's gospel represents spiritual blindness. You see that all throughout. And he says this to Jesus, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do apart from the presence of God. Now that sounds like a nice compliment, doesn't it? Except that John has kind of set us up maybe to not you know, completely trust what Nicodemus is saying. Maybe there's another agenda going on. Maybe he's angling, maybe he's politicking, maybe he's got an agenda. Um, And in the narrative, Jesus doesn't even comment on it. He just cuts right through all of that and he just sets the course of the conversation this way. No one can see, no one can see the kingdom of God without being born from above. Now that's the way the New Revised Standard Version says it, born from above. If you've got another translation, uh, does anybody have a translation in front of them that says something different from born from above? Anyone? No? Everybody says that? There are other translations that say without being born again. Okay, so some translations are born again and some are born from above. and. I think that's interesting because in the English language, from above and again, don't have anything to do with each other, do they? I mean, like, why would some choose that? Well, these two words that don't have any connection in the English language um, do have a connection in the original language. So the word um, that is translated from above sometimes and again sometimes is anathen. And the literal translation of the word anathen means from above. 
So in fact, if you look in chapter 3, verse 31, John the Baptist is talking about Jesus, and he says that Jesus has come from above. He says, he has come, Anathan, from above, and is greater than anyone else. But that word had also, in, in their time and in their culture, become an idiom, meaning to start over or to repeat something. So Jesus is using a word here that has both a literal meaning and a non-literal meaning. And we've got words in English like this, right? And phrases. So for instance, if I said, Grandpa kicked the bucket last night, right? I could literally mean that Grandpa kicked a bucket with his foot. You know, like, gosh, when Grandpa kicked that bucket last night, it was so loud, it woke me up, startled me, right? I mean, I could mean that. But if you hear someone say the phrase, kick the bucket, so-and-so kicked the bucket, what do you understand them to be saying? They died. Grandpa died last night. God rest his soul. Okay, so the same thing is, is going on with this word, Anathan. There was this literal meaning and then there was this special meaning, this non-literal meaning that meant to start over. Now, which one does Nicodemus take Jesus to mean? To start over, to begin again. Hence his question, how can anyone be born after growing old? Can one enter a second time into the mother's womb and be born Does that clarify a little bit for you why Nicodemus would ask such a question? Doesn't it seem, I've always wondered that. Like, why is he, what a weird thing for Nicodemus to ask. Well, because that word had an ambiguous meaning. It could have meant something so literal. I also think Nicodemus is kind of messing with Jesus just a little bit. Um, So Jesus begins again. He starts over. He, Anathens. Do you see what I did there? Okay, somebody please appreciate that. That was really good. Um, And he just says the same thing again, this time just using a different metaphor, okay? This time, he's using a metaphor that Nicodemus, a teacher, a leader, a Pharisee, is sure not to misunderstand because he knows his scriptures, right? And he probably takes pride in that. Jesus says, I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and the Spirit. Now, let me give you a note here in case some of you hear kingdom of God and you equate that with meaning going to heaven, okay? The kingdom of God, that does not equal going to heaven, okay? The kingdom, Jesus says in other places, is available now. He brought the kingdom, and its citizens are those who follow God and are marked by the characteristics of God and the Holy Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. If you ever went to vacation Bible school as a kid, you learned that song, right? Those are the fruits of the Spirit. Those are the characteristics of the Spirit. And, and what did the Pharisees want What do they believe the result of of their, and if everybody in Israel would get it together, everybody's righteousness would be? It would mean that the kingdom of God would come down. It would mean that Messiah would come, right? And so the Pharisees get so irritated with people all the time because they're like, you're preventing the kingdom. Like, we've got to be righteous. 
We've got to get it together. You see Rome? You see those oppressors over there? I mean, like, we are never going to be out from under this. The kingdom won't come, right? Our Messiah won't come to save us if we're not righteous, okay? But what was that next metaphor again? Let me go back to it. Jesus says, no one can enter the kingdom without being born of water and the Spirit. Immediately at the mention of water and the Spirit, Nicodemus' ears should have perked up and his mind should have started flooding with all sorts of Old Testament prophetic narratives and images where water and the Spirit are used to bring new life or recreate or redeem or renew something or someone, okay? Two of my favorite passages that should have popped up in Nicodemus's own mind are from Ezekiel chapters 36 and 37. So if you wanna, all you nerds like me out there, flip on back to Ezekiel. It's right before Daniel. So anyway, 36 and 37. In Ezekiel 36, God is describing what he is going to do with his rebellious people after their time of exile, which at the time Ezekiel is writing this, they are in exile. They are 500 miles away from home in Babylon. And through Ezekiel, God says to his people, I will sprinkle clean water on you and you shall be clean from all your uncleannesses and from all your idols. I will cleanse you. So we see God saying that he's going to cleanse them from their sins. And idolatry was one of the main sins that, that they were guilty of, right? What got them into exile. But not only will they be cleansed of their sins, not only will be, they be forgiven. Look what else. He goes on to say, a new heart I will give you and a new spirit I will put within you and I will remove from your body the heart of stone and I will give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and you shall be my people, and I will be your God. So what picture do we have there? Humans cleansed of their sins. Humans who will have a new heart. Their fundamental motivations will be completely transformed. God will put God's own spirit inside these humans, and they will experience a, a reconciled relationship with God, humanity and God reconciled. But there's more. He says those, those dry and those wasted places and those places of desolation that resulted from your sin, that resulted from your rebellion, God says, I'm gonna rebuild that and I'm gonna replant that and there will be an abundance of grain and fruit and produce. In other words, abundant fruit and a harvest will come from you when I cleanse you with my purifying waters and I give you a new spirit, my spirit. Now, if you turn to the next chapter, chapter 37, what is that chapter all about? Anybody got a heading? What does it say? Stay with me, guys. Come on. Chapter 37 of Ezekiel. Somebody knows it already. David Godbald knows it. What'd you say? Yeah, and there's an image of a valley that's full of something, some dry bones, right? And so God gives Ezekiel, sorry to call you out, David. I am so sorry. It was really fun. It was really fun of me to do that. Anyway, so there's this valley and there's these dry bones, right? And, and God says to Ezekiel, he says, that's Israel. And they feel like those bones, they're, they're, they're spiritually dead and, and they're dry, but Ezekiel, 
He says, prophesy to the breath, which is an image all throughout Old Testament. Breath, wind, spirit, okay? Spirit, the ruach of God, and call on that breath, call on that spirit to breathe upon these slain so that they may live. And the breath came into them, and they lived, and they stood on their feet. A vast multitude, it says. These are the images and the narratives in Israel's scriptures that would definitely have been running, and more, through Nicodemus' mind. At the mention of new life and new birth being brought about through water and the Spirit. So can you see now what Jesus is saying to Nicodemus through the use of both of these metaphors? Even using a word that has a double meaning, utilizing both meanings. Nicodemus, your life will only truly begin when you begin again in the life given you from above. A life that can only be born from the Spirit of God, from water and the Spirit. Don't be astonished at this, Nicodemus. You know the Scriptures. And now is the time of their fulfillment. Forget what you think you know. Believe in me. Trust in me. And receive this life that I'm offering. So Jesus just turned Nicodemus' whole worldview, his whole religious understanding upside down. Right? What did Nicodemus choose? We don't know. We don't know what choice he made. Did he let go of everything he thought he knew and trust in Jesus and actually see Jesus for who he was instead of trying to politic and angle and having an agenda as a religious leader? We don't know, but he is mentioned later in John chapter 19. Y'all look it up. John chapter 19, verses 30, something, something, something. And he's bringing like 100 pounds of myrrh and aloes for Jesus' burial. So, Jesus got to him on some level, right? Maybe he became a follower. The very least, he respected him. Perhaps he did receive that life from above. And maybe he did see and enter the kingdom, which again is not going to heaven, but it is the kingdom of God, the characteristics of God himself, his spirit, love and joy and peace and all of those things manifesting in your life to the people around you. That's seeing and entering the kingdom. You know, today is what we Methodists call Aldersgate Sunday. Um, Anybody heard of Aldersgate Sunday? Well, you did because Wes, like, told you about it this morning, right, during the announcement. So, it was a trick question. But before today, anybody, a few of you have, if you've grown up as, as Methodists, maybe you've heard of that before. The Sunday before May 24th is designated Aldersgate Sunday, where we remember John Wesley's rebirth experience. In case you don't know, um, John Wesley was the founder of the Methodist movement, and he had a very significant encounter, experience with the Holy Spirit on May 24th, 1738, while he was in London at an event on Aldersgate Street. Hence the reason we call it Aldersgate Sunday. So some 
I'll use Wes Ingram lingo, some fun facts about John Wesley um, that are true about him before this experience. Um, he, he grew up a preacher's kid. Any preacher's kids? Just me. All right. Oh, yeah, Rachel, my kid. Right. She is also a preacher's kid. There's two of us in there. Three of us? You're a PK? I didn't know we were in the same club. That's cool. That makes you even more fun. Okay, so John Wesley and me and Rachel and Becky, we are preacher's kids. So he was a preacher's kid, and he was extremely intelligent. Y'all know that, right? Very religious. Um, He was devout, and he was very concerned for the poor. He did many, many good acts for other people, especially the less fortunate. Um, He had a terrible two-year pastoral stint in Georgia um, where he left in shame and disgrace. It was just really, just not a great experience for him. And he was struggling with with really believing and knowing that he was forgiven, that his sins were forgiven. So you got a guy that's grown up in church who knows the scriptures and who does does all sorts of good works, and he's struggling to know, am I forgiven? Are my sins forgiven? Um, He's doing all the right and righteous things, guys, just like Nicodemus, right? Just all the right and righteous things. And yet he's struggling to know if his sins are forgiven. Now, I want to share with you what he wrote in his journal after this experience that he had on May 24th. And I want you to keep in mind as you listen to this, everything we've learned from John 3 about what it means to be born from above or born again, right? So here's John Wesley. In the evening, I went very unwillingly. Okay, I just have to stop right there. I mean, I love that. He's completely unsuspecting that something is about to happen. And I think about Nicodemus and how he came to Jesus just like with his own agenda. And he gets like something he didn't expect. Anyway, John Wesley goes very unwillingly to a society on Aldersgate Street where one was reading Luther's preface to the epistle to the Romans. I got to pause again right there. Paul's letter to the Romans is all about how we are not saved by the law. Keeping the law does not bring you salvation. Instead, it exposes sin and it points you to the fact that you can't be good enough. You need a savior. You are saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. Okay, that's, that's the topic that he's listening to Martin Luther expound upon, okay? Well, someone reading about Martin Luther expounding upon it. About a quarter before nine, while he was describing the change which God works in the heart through faith in Christ, I felt my heart strangely warmed. What did God say to Ezekiel? I'm going to give you a new heart, right? I'm going to take out the old one and I'm going to put a new one in there. I felt my heart strangely warmed and I felt that I did trust in Christ, Christ alone for salvation and an assurance was given to me. What did John Wesley lack? An assurance that he was forgiven and loved and accepted. Like you don't have to work to be good enough. He lacked that and he got it. An assurance was given me that he had taken away my sins, even mine, and saved me. From the law of sin and death. Y'all, that's a powerful moment. I had no idea that John Wesley was ever going to make me cry, but here I go. Okay. And then he says this. I began to pray with all my might for those who had in a more special manner despitefully used me 
and persecuted me. So he writes more, but we're going to stop there. But as I read all that, I thought, you know, you could go line by line in John Wesley's journal entry, and you could look at John 3, and you could look at Ezekiel 36 and Ezekiel 37, and you would see so many similarities, right? But I just want to point out these few things about this. John Wesley was given an assurance of his forgiveness. It came through faith in Christ, just like Jesus taught, trust in me, believe in me, and you'll receive new life. He was instantly motivated to pray for the people who had hurt him. And finally, significant fruit and abundance, just like God talked about in Ezekiel, came forth from his life as a result of this rebirth. John Wesley's new life from above led to the creation of something new and spirit-filled, the, the people called Methodists. Right? So many people heard the good news of Jesus' love and forgiveness because of John Wesley. So many people experienced spiritual rebirth because of John Wesley. And that's how it is with things of the Spirit. You don't suspect it's going to happen all the time. He went unwillingly. Nicodemus came at night, like spiritually blind. And, and then the Spirit, Jesus says, like the wind, it blows where it's going to blow. It just shows up and it happens and you can't control it. But when he comes, new life comes out and there is recreation. So, here's what I leave you with today. Where do you feel spiritually dry? Where do you feel dried up and empty and spiritually dead? Would you ask for the Spirit to come and give you the life that you need? I promise you he wants to. And then while we're at that, asking for our individual selves, can we as a church take an honest look at our community and ask, um, have we been born from above as a community? And what is the evidence of that? Are we bearing fruit? Like we're given this new life so that we can be life's Christ in the world. Christ's life lived through us equals spirit-filled, fruit-bearing people. So is there fruit? Is there new life coming out of us? Is there new creation happening around us? These are the kinds of questions that Jesus is really imploring us to ask as ourselves as individuals and as our church community, right? There's so much more in John 3. We could spend weeks in John 3. I won't do that to you today. But I hope that this has helped you gain a, a greater understanding of what it means to be born again. Um, and that you will desire that. Because for me, I've been born from above again and again and again. And that's the way it is. Right? That's the way it is. We are constantly growing and we are constantly to lean into the Spirit to become more like Him. So may you experience new life in the Spirit. And may your life and our life together in community produce an abundance for God's kingdom. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you so much for your word. This reminder that we, we don't have to work to be good enough. And we can't on our own be good enough that you provide everything we need. And we ask for a filling of your spirit, Lord, to come upon us, that our lives would bear fruit for you, and that more people would come into the kingdom as a result of our trust and our faithfulness. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Hymn number 454, open my eyes. Are we standing for this?
I feel like we should. Stand on up. Stand, he says yes. Stand it on up. Please remain standing and in response to uh, the spoken word and the good news sung together as a congregation, let us affirm our faith with the Apostles' Creed on page 881. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. The third day he rose from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and life everlasting. Amen. may be seated. As we close out our service this morning with prayer and offering and one more hymn, uh, bring up some prayer requests for the congregation. One is our Honduras team. We have nine uh, men, women, and youth going to Honduras on Saturday. Uh, Bruce said, if Wi-Fi is available to watch Facebook for updates. Um, they will be doing medical, VBS, construction uh, as part of the ministry there. So they, we need to lift, lift those, that, that team up. And secondly, you, uh, those of you who have been on Facebook or, or know Jennifer Bruton, um, you have seen uh, 
she announced that she has taken a job at Colorado State in Pueblo. And however, just to make sure we're all on, on the same page, Sam, her husband, will be staying here to finish out his two more years of his contract uh, at USM. So as Jennifer transitions, um, be praying for her as she transitions and be praying for Sam. They will be, have a long distance relationship uh, for two years. Now as we go into prayer together, uh, we'll open up with silent prayer as you respond as God leads to the spoken and sung word. Let's pray. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, God of life, God of love, God of new life and renewed life and transformed life, you have blessed us uh, with this morning. Lord, and Lord, we woke up this morning and for that we are grateful. Holy Spirit, we thank you for the word you have spoken through Susan, through the music, through the fellowship, through the children's moments. Lord, help us to understand more deeply what it means to be born, uh, to be born again be born renewed, to have a renewed life, a renewed spirit, to be a transformed person. And Lord, that's our prayer this morning. Transform our hearts that we may be a church family that loves you and loves each other well. Father, for those in our community who are experiencing pain and loss, we pray for comfort and we pray for peace. Father, for those in our community who are experiencing uh, particularly significant stress and challenges. Lord, we pray for encouragement and we pray for hope. Lord, for those in our community who are journeying through a season of weakness, a season of temptation, a season of continued sin, we pray for strength and we pray that they will experience, we will all experience your grace and forgiveness in new ways. And Lord, for those who are experiencing the joy of knowing you as Father, amidst the ups and downs of life, we rejoice. We rejoice with them, and we thank you for life. Now, Lord, by your grace, continue to re remake us, renew us, transform our hearts into the community you want us to be, that your kingdom of grace will grow. And now, joining our hearts and our minds and our voices together, we pray the prayer that your, our Lord Jesus taught us to pray. Our Father, Lord in heaven, Hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not to temptation, deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the heart. Now our hosts come forward as we continue worship with the giving of our tithes and our offerings.